Welcome to Senior Straight Talk with Phyllis Heyman, a collaborative podcast with Pass It On Network. This program is brought to you by all of Community Services. Seniors deserve to have a fulfilling life with dignity and respect, but as we transition into our elderhood years, this doesn't always happen. Join us today as we discuss some of the most important issues that seniors face and provide much-needed answers to your questions. Now, here is Phyllis Amon. Welcome to Senior Straight Talk, presenting informative conversations for the senior years of our lives. I'm Phyllis Amon, your host. The library of all of the show episodes, beginning from September 2019, can be found on the Voice America Empowerment Channel under the name Senior Straight Talk. And of course, they can be found on popular podcast platforms. The show is also syndicated on the Voice America Influencers Channel. So please remember to like, click, and share the episodes. For those listeners who are in what I call SOS mode, stressed, overwhelmed, and stretched, I'll be launching a new free caregiver distress recovery challenge in the upcoming months, helping caregivers find a path to bringing much needed self-care into their daily routine. It features empathy, my registered trademark which is also the basis of a self-care commitment letter and teaches strategies from my proprietary framework for self-care, self-kindness, self-compassion, and self-forgiveness. Strategies that will help you feel recharged and re-energized as you face life's challenges. Family members considering taking on the role of caregiver or those just beginning the caregiver journey can find valuable information in my course a Caregiver's Guide to Caregiving the Basics. You will be able to find information on the course once you click on the link for the free book offer on the Senior Straight Talk post page. And you can also find information on the homepage of my website, phyllisamonassociates.com by clicking the link freeagingparentbook.com. My latest book, Think Big, was released May 17th on Amazon. It features my story, my big vision about how to shift our ideas about aging and older adults and the value they have in our lives and in society. I'm honored to be included in the book alongside the iconic and legendary Brian Tracy, entrepreneur Bob Bodine and many others. The book is published by Kyle Wilson, president of Jim Rohn International. So I hope you'll grab a copy on Amazon. The many stories included in the book can inspire and motivate you in your business and positively impact your own personal development and growth. You can also get the paperback for Dignity and Respect, Are Our Aging Parents Getting What They Deserve on Amazon. The book addresses critical information about how we care for and treat our elder citizens in our families, our communities, in nursing homes, and assisted living residences across the country. I'm honored that Dr. Bill Thomas wrote the foreword for the book, so I hope you'll get a copy and encourage your friends and colleagues to do the same. Your support is greatly appreciated and hope you'll spread the word on this all-important topic. Once you grab the free copy of Dignity and Respect, you'll find information on the Caregiver's Guide to Caregiving course and the valuable free bonuses that go along with it. Senior Straight Talk is very proud of the collaborative partnership with the Pass It On Network. 
a global peer learning network for positive aging advocates and a member of the United Nations Open-Ended Working Group on Aging. Senior Straight Talk and the Pass It On Network continue bringing listeners informative conversations for the senior years of our lives. And now I'd like to introduce today's guests. Two outspoken, relentless, and staunch advocates for improving care in our nation's nursing homes. Both have been guests on Senior Straight Talk in the past, but today I could not be more thrilled to have Mike Wasserman, a well-known geriatrician, and Martha Deaver, founder and president of Arkansas Advocates for Nursing Home Residents, together on Senior Straight Talk. I regard both of them as my personal heroes for their relentless and tireless efforts working towards improving quality of care and quality of life for the residents of our over 15,000 nursing homes, as well as for the healthcare workers who care for them. Well, I'm so glad to be here with two of my favorite people, advocates, Martha Deaver and Mike Wasserman, both of whom have been on Senior Straight Talk before. And I just want to say, before we got on, we had some technical glitches. And what we came to realize was that persistence pays off. And I said, well, all of us are, are those people, otherwise we wouldn't be doing what we were doing. So let's start with that, with advocacy and being persistent and what it takes. So um, who wants to start off here, Mike or Martha, either one? Well, well I'll be here, I, Mike, I, it's up to you. Okay, um, well, Mike, why don't uh, well, Mark, Mark, you- Well, Mark, yeah, here, I, I, you know, I, I'm not sure which of us has been at this longer. I think we've both been at this a long time. So. You know, I I became a geriatrician in the late 1980s, and as such, you know, have 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 been engaged in advocacy for vulnerable older adults ever since. And uh, and and I will say, uh, there's a lot of folks because of the pandemic who have come to realize how much things don't work for vulnerable older adults in our country, and. Uh, you know, I'm I'm welcoming all those folks to the battle. At the same time, it's a battle that many of us have been fighting for for decades. And and I think I think in some regards, I'm feeling that that persistence is definitely starting to pay off. I uh, I think I wish, <laughs> and I'm sure Martha does that it had come sooner. And we still have a lot of work to do. So um, you know, that's that's what I'll say about persistence. Okay, and Martha, you? Well, it was almost like you were reading my mind, Mike. Uh, I started my advocacy back in the 80s when my grandmother went into a nursing home for rehab. Uh, You know, my my story is uh, has been talked about many times. So, I mean, and it's like any story, it would take hours to describe it. But I started my advocacy in the 80s, Uh, taking care and advocating for uh, my grandmother, uh, who was actually dropped and put back to bed with a broken hip. And uh, it was me and my mother that discovered it. Fast forward over 10 years later, my mother had a stroke and uh, uh, in the 90s and uh, was in numerous nursing homes for rehab. Uh, Every time one of them uh, mistreated her or 
violated her rights, I would put her in another one. Uh, through my advocacy work, uh, I started researching data on nursing homes. And every time uh, something would happen, I would do research to see what the law said. Uh, and that repeated itself hundreds of times over. Uh, and then I started advocating for my mother, who, who her story is well documented in, uh, on my website, in Ladies Home Journal and other, other media outlets. But the long story short is the persistent paid off in that uh, I never stopped researching, never stopped advocating for my mother and others during my plight in trying to protect her. Uh, continued my advocacy work through rallies, uh, through uh, getting on certain committees, and through uh, our organization, the Arkansas Advocates for Nursing Home Residents, who uh, give information and give data and give reports and help family members find nursing homes. And I have filed hundreds and hundreds of complaints from the 80s to, to date by being persistent, educating myself just like Mike does on government reports and government data. And more than one of the biggest things that I do and have done for years is left no stun unturned in reaching out to local and national media outlets, mm -hmm. which in my view are God sent. That's why when Mike said that about persistence and about a dark light that has been shined on what's been going on in nursing homes for decades. Uh, it took such a horrific tragedy for that to happen, but I could not agree with Mike Moore, you know, from the Kaiser Foundation to AARP, Centers for Public Integrity, ProPublica, uh, so many media outlets have focused uh, print and television media like I've never seen in the past 30 years. I, I agree with you, Martha. And um, so I just want to add something to that because, uh, and Mike and I had a conversation about this not too long ago, just a couple of weeks ago, I think it was Mike, right? And, um, you know, because my advocacy was more from the inside, right? I, I worked right. with speech and language pathologists and I was always I was always the person that they wished wasn't around because I was always coming and saying something or pointing things out or saying why they can't do better and, and all of that. Um, until I finally stepped out of that space and really wanted to inform families. And that's when I really found out how much was really going on on a national level because I was kind of in this cocoon in my area with all the nursing homes I worked in and all the colleagues with whom I worked. But um, I... I, while I agree that media is certainly more focused on this and, and you have, you know, uh, judicial branches more focused on this, I really had hoped, and I, I'd be interested to hear both of your takes on this, I really had hoped that COVID, while it did shine an important spotlight, that it would have been more of a catastrophic event that would have, you know, been an impetus for change in, in a quicker way, because it just seems almost insurmountable to me. What do you think about that, Mike? Well, I, I, I get a little PTSD-ish when, when you say that because um, in the spring, March, April of 2020, I was telling journalists that we could see a quarter of a million deaths in long-term care from COVID. And, and, and interestingly, that did get me quoted 
it did get me on national TV. It didn't, that specific statement never was printed. I, I don't yeah. think, I don't think the journalist, I, I think, I think initially they probably thought I was crazy. Um, and, and, and you have to understand that, and I, I say this with all due respect to everyone else, you know, all the other advocates, but, you know, as a physician, I took an oath to protect people. And, and, and I, I, I've dedicated my life to serving older adults. And so that oath is to all older adults. And from the moment I could foresee that catastrophic, that catastrophic event, I, I, I had no, I had, I had no other choice. Now, my concern is the catastrophic event happened. We've, we've, I, I think the, the, many of the numbers continue to be undercounted. There's, yes. there's, there's no doubt in my mind that, that my quarter of a million number is probably pretty close to spot on. And yet here we are today still struggling to grapple with the delivery of quality care in, in long-term care and in nursing yes. homes in particular. And so I, there's a frustration that I think uh, is coming with this. So I, 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 you know, the catastrophic event happened, Phyllis, and we're still fiddling. I okay. agree. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Let me say this, Mike, it's very interesting that you said that. Because I was contacted by national media, several national media outlets in March 2020. And I was asked the exact, I, I was asked, so Miss Deaver, now remember, I've dealt with these media outlets for years. They said, what do you think is going to happen? And you, my words were, there's going to be a massacre. Right. And those words were printed several times. And those words were correct. Now, the system's been broke for decades. Oh, for sure. The federal government knows that our system has been broken for decades. You can go on my website and pull up a hundred government reports documenting it to date. There's no excuse for that. Our government has failed our most frail and vulnerable citizens. So what's going on now is that they are getting ready to issue new guidance and the new guidance is training two surveyors in every state in the United States. Uh, CMS issued this guidance in 2016, uh, implemented in three phases, but because of COVID, they just now uh, put the guidance in the, in, into the public arena to where it's going to be implemented in full and effect uh, in October uh, 24th, 2022. Uh, it's going to be on abuse and neglect investigation. So they're going to be teaching surveyors something they already knew and should have been doing in the first place. Right. Admissions and transfers and discharge. Well, I'd be a millionaire if I had a nickel for every time someone was illegally discharged. Uh, so I just want to interject something. In the past couple of weeks, so um, 
you know, my, my, my way of thinking about this when I first started in 2016, as I say, that's when I stepped out to do this, but I was doing it within nursing homes for so many years. You know, I used to joke that when an administrator used to come, they used to see me coming, they would say, oh my God, can somebody do something about her? Why is she still here? But I mean, I was there as a professional, as a speech and language pathologist, but you know, it was, they knew when I was coming, I was going to be saying something that could be done differently in all likelihood better, right? So um, interestingly enough, in the past couple of weeks, one was a, um, the uh, gentleman um, who owns a local stationery store. You know, we all have people in our local community, right? And the other one is a, um, a, a, someone I met at an event last September and we've become friends and um, have been in touch quite a bit. And so both of these people had something happen to their mothers um, within you know a couple of weeks of each other. Neither one of them, first of all, I have to say at the hospital level, the things that the, the one of them told me was said was so horrific, I, I couldn't even imagine such a thing. Um, and the other one, um, I told both of them, you know, within a, a few days, being that their mother was stable, in all likelihood, the hospital would be transferring them someplace, and they should start looking for nursing homes. And I, you know, that's what I do, educate them, give them questions to ask information. But of course, when you're in crisis, that's not the time to get the information, right? Because you can't plan when you're in a crisis. But the second gentleman in my community, the hospital transferred her, nobody knew. They just transferred her one day and the woman doesn't even speak any English and she had a stroke. So can you imagine how terrified this woman must feel? And then these, these, the family didn't even know where she was transferred to. And so I think that the whole system in their approach to caring for older adults is broken. Well, please know that I'm not... Uh being facetious when I say this, but I've dealt with hundreds of cases like that. Right. No, I'm sure. And, you know, and during COVID, they actually had a waiver to be able to do this yes, uh, without following the federal laws that were put in place. Right. You know, uh, the, I mean, to, to go over the waivers that were allowed to protect nursing homes and not the residents is abominable. Right. Uh, that, you know, they watered down nursing aid training uh, they watered down what you just said, uh, discharge and notifying people of discharge. They watered down the three-day rule yes. where, where hospital patients uh, needing therapy could leave 24 hours early instead of the three-day rule to go into a nursing home. So they went into the nursing home sicker and not really prepared to go into a nursing home, uh, which is not hospital care. Right. And, you know, I do want to say this about all these investigations, uh, investigative reports that are going on. I mean, I have them listed there. It's massive. I've in my years, 30 years of doing volunteer advocacy. I've never seen anything that comes close to it. It takes time. Right. I am elated about all of the focus from all from Kaiser, from AARP, you just name it, PBS, ProPublica. And I'm elated about all of the government reports that have just come out one after another from the OIG to the GAO documenting the failures. I mean, they're coming out uh, uh, just like a 
a flood, a flood, right. I, which when you compare those to the media recognition, uh, for the first time, uh, I generally have some hope that there might be some changes because I've, I have fought the agencies. I have, and, and I'm talking about, I have fought the government on these uh, issues, right. not just nursing homes and not just advocating uh, for residents. But, uh, but I just want to interject uh, one thing because you said OIG and GAO. And so for listeners, I just want to clarify for listeners who don't know what that is an acronym for, the OIG is the Office of the Inspector General and GAO is the Government Accountability Office. So I just wanted to make that clarification that those are two very important government agencies that have looked into nursing homes and issue reports. And yes, they've been going on for decades. So I didn't mean to interrupt you, Martha. No. I just wanted to clarify for listeners. And Mike, I know you agree with me. One of the oh. biggest causes of death is the failure of these facilities nationwide to follow infection control laws that I'm looking at right here, 15 pages uh, that have been in place for decades. They did not follow them. Right. So, no, yeah, it's interesting. And, and I, I agree with everything you said, Martha. And I, I too am heartened to see this with, with some caveats. I just published a paper on emergency preparedness in nursing homes. And um, 20 years of GAO reports documenting yeah. everything that's wrong. 20 years of repeated <laughs> GAO and OIG reports documenting what's wrong gives me some pause in yes. terms of, uh, and, and it, it kind of goes back to the opening of this discussion of persistence. Yes. We, we have made a massive impact on getting the government focused where they need to be focused, but this is only the maybe maybe the second inning okay it's i mean maybe we've moved out of the first inning now and and now we're in the second inning you know i always like baseball analogies in america right so right. uh and 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 the and the thing is the pressure has to be maintained right uh, and and i think that i i actually think one of the key areas that i've learned is um you know the federal government the the people who in the federal government work for us True. And and our re our elected representatives essentially are the ones who give them the laws that they're supposed to follow. And there really is an ongoing need for that pressure from sure. from from our Congress, from Congress, from the president, from the White House. I was very heartened by the president's nursing home plan. Yes. Um, but but here's my concern. Who's in charge of it? Right. Who's the point person? And and without continued, and I mean continued, this is where, Martha, you and I, are. you know, we need more of us yeah. who, are, who are not going to take their foot off the pedal. And at the same time, and here's the, here's the challenge, and actually I want to bring this, I want to get Martha's feedback on this because uh, I don't think there's anyone who's truly followed me for the last two and a half years who doesn't appreciate where I stand on these issues 
Um, and yet, because I'm a physician, every so often people new to the care to fight, the, the caregivers who have been frustrated, sort of want to lump me in right. <laughs> to other other healthcare folks. And and I patiently explain, wait a minute, uh, you know, this is where I'm coming from. I, I I reach out to speak directly to these folks, but but going back to the patients issue. And, and I'm sure you've seen this, if we are fighting everybody, if we're fighting the industry, if we're fighting the regulators, if we're fighting the feds, if we're fighting the states, if we're fighting everybody, we will not win this battle. You right. can't win a war if you're fighting everybody. Yeah, you can't. And, you have to and, choose a front, right? And, and at some point, and I think we're close. We're closer than we've ever been. And, and Martha, I think you're right. Considering that we've got the government focused on the right thing, I think it's critical we effectively strategize on how we push on that lever to continue moving it forward. But it's it's a lot of work. Yes, it is. So, so before I'm curious before, what you think. Yeah, go ahead. So before we go on with that discussion, we're going to take a short break on Senior Straight Talk, sponsored by Phyllis Amon Associates. And then I want Martha, I want you to weigh in on what Mike just said. So we'll be right back on Senior Straight Talk. Welcome back to Senior Straight Talk, sponsored by Phyllis Amon Associates. And I'm having this very lively and phenomenal conversation with two phenomenal advocates, Mike Wasserman, geriatrician, and Martha Deaver, who's been an advocate for decades uh, for better nursing home care and for, for residents specifically, you know, on, on a number of occasions and for, you know, around the country. So Martha, before we went to break, um, Mike had brought up something and you were going to respond, but I took a short break at that point. So right. what I was gonna respond uh, about is it starts at the top. It starts at the top, which is CMS. Uh, they oversee every state agency in the United States. And they are responsible for also reviewing their performance annually. And then we start getting government accountability reports, Office of Inspector General reports throughout the year stating that so many of these agencies have been failing right. and have not been carrying out the laws like they are required to. And then we get another report that the New York Times did this year, I actually worked with them on it, that documents the fact that CMS, the head of the agency that oversees these nursing homes actually have been hiding the worst violations. So this is what I say, you have to expose the wrongdoing. And if you don't, it perpetuates it in my eyes. The data that CMS collects are put in the Office of Inspector General reports, the United States Department of Justice reports, and the Government Accountability reports that all of these politicians see, all these right. government agencies know about because they collect it from the nursing home data after abuse and neglect and violations have been cited. But, you know, I just wanna jump in there because from an inside perspective, right? Well, yes, there are reports and you know this Martha and, and you know it as well, Mike, I'm sure that there are countless cases 
that never make it to the media, that never make it to these reports. I mean, I was doing a stint uh, helping out in a nursing home uh, for about six months. Uh, nobody knows about all those horrific situations that I saw. Um, and, and, they are and they're horrific. Um, I'm still debating what I'm going to do about two of them in particular, which I think are real uh, worthy of, of scrutiny. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because we're all mandated reporters. And, you know, I, um, I kind of um, in the process of being up in, in this particular nursing home with all these things. And I would tell people, you know, this is neglect, this is abuse, you know, and I, I, I was wrestling with it myself, you know, should I make a call and I should be making a call. And then I, I think I, um, I reconciled it with myself and, and you might both tell me wrongly so, and I would accept that. Well, it's not like I just shrugged my shoulders and said, what can you do? This is what happens in a nursing home. I told everybody that I could speak to, the administrator, the regional administrator, the COO, the director of rehab, the social worker. I mean, I told everyone, it's not like people didn't know what was happening. So it's, it's not like I was quiet about it, but scrutiny from the outside didn't happen. Now, the worst situation about this whole nursing home up wherever it was is that they already have a class action suit against them by a family member mm -hmm. and so yet these other horrific situations are still going on so a lot of re a lot of situations around the country i mean there are thousands probably every single day listen i just got a text message from one of these people that i told you that i had been speaking to in the last few weeks months um, and this was his question to me. What is a reasonable time period for a call bell to be answered in a nursing home? <laughs> <laughs> We're laughing because it's not funny because we know why he asked me that question, right? So, and his mother had two heart attacks. She's, um, I, oh, she might be eating now. I'm not 100% sure. Uh, oh, oh no, I really don't know if she's eating because in the hospital, they told her she'd never eat again, like after two days, something ridiculous, but okay, whatever. And so of course I answered him accordingly. And when I answered him, he said, you know, I thought so. And, and who should be the next people I should be speaking with? So we already know what that scenario is about, right? Right. Right. So let, let's so you know what, Mar Mar go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. No, go ahead. Oh, I, I was just going to say Mar Martha's spot on in the sense of if you actually read all the existing regulations and guidance, um, what we need is already there. It's, it's in the yes. execution. Yes. Um, and, and, and with that said, one of the things I've learned, uh, look, in the last two and a half years, I've learned more and more about how the federal government, the state governments work or don't work. And at the federal level, you have federal employees who are charged with, with, with carrying out the law as they read it, okay? By the way, you can go from any of these things onto multiple paths of, of discussion, but then above them, you have politically appointed people. And we've seen in this pandemic, the impact, regardless of the administration at times, okay, of political appointment, appointed people impacting how a government agency carries out or doesn't carry out their responsibility. And I have to say, I know a lot of these federal employees who I think are wonderful people who really care. 
but they're oftentimes limited or subdued or, or at the same time, they're earning their paycheck and they don't want to rock the boat. Right. Um, and, and so there's a complexity there. Um, and, and, and let's not even forget on the, on the government employee side, and this is, this is something I really never understood until this recently. Every administration, probably since Washington, <laughs> puts people into federal employed positions. And once they're in those positions, it's really hard to get them out. So yes. not only do you have politically appointed people, you have government employees who have been sort of appointed by an administration. And it's one of the reasons I think that nothing ever changes sometimes or the changes take decades sometimes because you've got this tug of war. And, and I continue to be concerned that, and, and I'm going to go back to the 1974 report by the Senate Aging Committee that actually called for every medical school in the country to have a department of geriatrics. And, and that's never happened. And, and I love to say that if we trained if we trained everyone in healthcare the way I was trained as a geriatrician, we'd have, a, we'd have an on the ground group of clinicians who are not gonna, who, who, who believe in doing the right thing. You know, many of my colleagues have spoken out and have tried to fight as best they can, but there are very few of us and we're overwhelmed by the system. Right. And, and so, you know, I, I, think, I think this battle is very complex um, and if you don't understand the, the war, if you don't understand the, the battles, if you don't understand all the different characters involved, you're going to struggle to develop effective solutions. It's very complicated. And unless you've de dedicated years to studying and researching and educating yourself, you can't do it. Uh, you have to also remember that the American Healthcare Association, who has a chapter in every state, gives billions of dollars to our politicians every year. Okay? And that is huge. The Democratic Party, the Republican Party are both culpable to what has been going on. In the past 30 years, I've worked one-on-one -on -one with attorney general's offices. I've worked one-on-one -on -one with the Office of Inspector General, FBI, Government Accountability Office, hundreds of whistleblowers. And long story short, everything that my work, all the time that is taken has been worth every single second. I know for a fact what I have done, and that is, that is when I work with these uh, government offices, when I work with journalists, educating the public, in my view, no matter what anyone has to say about it, and getting this data, this information out there, is invaluable. I That's agree. why I worked so hard with COVID. I'm sitting there seeing what's going on in every single state. And I'm the member uh, you know, of the New York organization that has over 15, well, 50,000 members. I'm their advisor because of what Cuomo did. But long story short, educating the public, uh, talking to thousands of family members about 
their loved one in a nursing home where they had nowhere else to go or didn't have a clue what to ask. The oversight agencies don't tell you anything. The ombudsman do not give the families information. They're not even mandated reporters. I've worked one-on-one with ombudsmen all across the United States. I guess what I'm trying to say is it took a massive crisis of the suffering and dying of our most vulnerable citizens to get a level of attention that we've never had. And I think that, excuse my language, is a damn shame, okay? I wanna just say one thing, and it goes back to really what I said in the beginning, because I really thought that COVID was so catastrophic and I, I also saw how catastrophic, and I actually was working in a small nursing home at that time. It was obvious. I mean, it was in plain sight. And there were many people who died before they even were diagnosed as having COVID, but it was obvious uh, to me anyway. But, um, you know, I, I really think that it, it's going to, I mean, take, take more. I guess the, gov- the wheels of justice move slowly, as we all know. Uh, like we said, uh, they've known for decades, and there are um, there are interests that are at odds with um, you know the interests of advocates and people like us, right? Um, because they're they're um, you know they're they're especially for profit interests. It's a it's a very different mindset. I know you know I know it upfront and personal. And uh, that's a whole separate discussion of whether this industry should be a for-profit industry. But, um, you know, I really think there's going to need, there needs to be another huge catastrophic in your face kind of situation or a groundswell of people saying, I always quote this, this line from network. Um, I'm mad as hell and I can't take it anymore. I, I really think because especially the number of baby boomers, right, is burgeoning. The, the number of older people in our population is going to be ever increasing. And is this the kind of care that we're going to accept? Absolutely not. That's why educating the public is so important. And you know what? We've got the public's attention right now. Let's see what happens. Uh, we've, got, we've got government agencies' attention to some extent. We've got the attention of every player out there. You know, w- when you go back and you look at 50% of all nursing homes have been cited repeatedly for the exact same violations, that's abominable. It is abominable abominable and when you when you go back and look at what cms does it's important that i say this cms evaluates every medicare medicaid funded nursing home in the united states annually and decides whether they're going to recertify it again in order to get taxpayer dollars Uh, They decide every single year, are they following federal laws in order to be recertified? Now, do I, both of y'all know the answer to that, don't you? So (laughs) the top, at the top, they are allowing this to continue. And you can, you can put that in stone. They are allowing it to continue. 
well, listen, I've told both of you this story and um, there was a, a building that I know, a rather small building. They had a, uh, their Department of Health annual survey uh, several months ago and the um, staff in the nursing home was so concerned, things there were so bad, they were starting to call their other nursing homes in their area because they thought they'd be shut down, like really on the spot. And they were looking for places for to move their residents, right? Mm -hmm. And um, the Department of Health survey uh, was a deficiency free. And uh, now I wasn't in that nursing home, but I, at the time, but I know the nursing home, I know the, the players involved. And I was in a place nearby that nursing home uh, during that period of time. And those people were directly connected with the people in that nursing home. And they told me that the Department of Health surveyors were shocked themselves that the staff wasn't elated when they found that there were no concerns, a deficiency-free survey. Well, they were shocked because they thought they were going to be closed down. So how yeah. is it that the staff themselves knew of these egregious situations. First of all, if they knew about them, why were they continuing to occur? That's a separate issue. But how is it that the staff knew and the Department of Health survey found no, no concerns, not even a minor concern? That concerns me. Well, they're not carrying the failure of the oversight agency because uh, the staff definitely knew what had been going on and probably turned it in, probably filed complaints themselves. That's possible. I've known many places where staff have called in. Don't, don't get me wrong. There are good nursing homes out there. There's Absolutely. just enough of them. Our organization has honored hundreds of direct care workers throughout the years. And, you know, the, the bottom line with, with that is that, you know, I believe 100% that nursing homes do not need to be for-profit businesses. If we don't have 30 years of reports and data to show that to be a fact, uh, we have nothing. But that's people, a, you know, people say, well, the federal government can't do it. Well, you know what? They sure as hell can't do any worse than what I've seen with nursing home owners nationwide showing profit over care for decades. Right. And I know the gory stories. You know, right. the Justice Department does, the GAO does, OIG does, you know, the Journal of American Medicine, some of the stuff that they put out there, the Kaiser Report. I mean, it's just, uh, the bottom line is, as long as you're profiting off of the most vulnerable citizens' needs, which it's well documented, they do, they have done, and they continue to do what's gonna happen. The outcome is gonna be tragic, just like you saw with COVID. Yeah, but you know, and, and, and Mike, I'd love you to weigh in on this because I, I have seen, um, you know, and I, when I was in, in this particular building, you know, I was telling the staff up there who was burned out and frustrated and wanted to leave and, you know, saw these building in the past five years go from not-for-profit to for-profit and the difference. Um, it's a mindset issue. So until, um, until 
the mindset of these people's changed. Now, I didn't say whether it should be profit or nonprofit. I'm not even getting into that discussion now. But guess what? You can still be doing things to improve the quality of life for residents and for your staff if you have a mindset that, that goes along with that way of thinking. But I have to say, my experiences from the people that I know, um, that's not something that they're interested in. And that's, I, I think until there's, and I don't know how you regulate this. I don't know what guidelines there could be. You can't regulate a person's mindset, but there has to be some consequence besides fines or, uh, you know, slaps on the wrist. There has to be some major consequence because if they feel there's a major consequence, that might move the needle. What do you think about that, Mike? No, I there's exceptions to every rule, but I, I, I agree with Martha. When you, when you make vulnerable older people or vulnerable younger people, um, and you combine the, their care with, with for-profit entities, you're playing with fire. And, and, and are there exceptions? Sure. There are for-profit folks who are truly, who truly put doing the right thing first. But they really are more the exception than the rule. And similarly, there are nonprofits. And keep in mind, nonprofits need to not lose money to be successful. So you, you actually get some slippage of, of some of the worst elements of the for-profit industry into nonprofits. We've recently seen that. Um, you know, and, and, and so, uh, you know, I think, so, so yes, I, I mean, I actually do think in the long run, this, this is a, a, a very valid point. I question how long it would take or if it's even possible in this country to make that conversion. Right. Um, and and I, what I, what I want to make sure of is I'm all for fighting for that. But at the same time, we got to get the change in the room, in the facilities today, you know, which ironically, when COVID hit, you know, in, on March, on March 9th, actually the first week of March, 2020, um, we recommended every nursing home in the country and every nursing home in California to be required to have a full-time infection, infection prevention. Yep. Why? Because I'd run a nursing home chain and it was clear to me that if the, if the industry and the regulators weren't going to do this. We needed to mandate it. And, you know, and, and again, was that the, would that have been the end all solution to everything? Of course not. But it would have been a first step towards assuring what, what um, Martha's been talking about. If you've got a person whose only job in the facility is to make sure that infection prevention and control procedures and education and everything is going right and they have the proper accountability, you've got at least one button. You've got at least one lever that can make a difference. And you I start agree. there, and I then you agree. add on to that. I, I agree. I, I couldn't agree with you more. I just, I just want to say, I worked in buildings for many years where there was a full-time infection preventionist. And I have to say, the quality of care and, um, you know, the guidelines that were followed, everybody really had to follow them, especially if it was a person who was a very, very strong in that area. 
But when that requirement was watered down to be part-time or sufficient time, that's where that really started to become a slippery slope. And Martha, isn't it true that the guidelines are going back in the other direction um, so that it's required again that uh, facilities have a full-time infection, infection preventionist? You know, they're talking about that. Uh, it, it's, you know, when you, when you talk about these new guidelines, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're talking about payroll-based staff data in order to get the correct amount of uh, staff uh, to be factual for, for the surveyors to know exactly how many staff they have. And now they do have infection control. So when this guidance is released, we'll know more in depth uh, what the infection control is going to entail. Uh, you know, a lot of their new guidance that's going to come out in October is going to deal with inappropriate diagnosis of mental health issues and substance abuse and, you know, transfer and discharge, abuse and neglect. Let me stop right there. We've got great laws. Right. EMS has got to do their job. They have got to educate the oversight agencies, which if you look, there's been another government report that just came out saying that was needed and that they were going to do that. And that's what they're doing right here. But so many people don't realize these laws are already, already in place. Until we close down nursing homes that have a history of poor quality of care violations. That means it's been documented. Right. Until we close them down, decertify them, and not just slap them on the hand with a civil money penalty or stop their Medicaid funding for two weeks, that does not work. And they actually put that in the cost of doing business. Right. Uh, so the bottom line is, until CMS quits allowing something that they call, which is really a cute word, but it's a deadly word, and it's called yo-yo compliance. Right. Yo-yo compliance is something that tells you that a nursing home has been cited repeatedly, repeatedly, repeatedly for the same quality of care violation that causes actual harm to the resident that's rated G through L. And when that happens over and over and over, they are supposed to decertify them. That means that they are not following the requirements to be certified. Just real quick, I'm going to give you a bizarre example that I actually brought to CMS when I was being honored at the Consumer Voice uh, Convention in 2006. So they had an open mic with the head of CMS. And I had a press release from our attorney general's office where he had fined a nursing home corporation called Advocate Incorporated Diversicare $240 million. And he cited that, I believe it was $10,000 for each violation. And it actually was the worst case of yo-yo compliance in the history of the United States. And I oh handed God. it to the director. And this is what it was. One 
resident in Eureka Springs Nursing and Rehab in Arkansas. They had been cited 2,040 times for, for abusing that resident in a five-year period, and it was all in an investigative report. So this resident had been abused 2,040 times, oh culminating goodness. in his death in a five-year period. Yo, yo, compliance, the worst case in the history of the United States, and I handed that to him. And I called it yo-yo compliance. And he said, Miss Stever, uh, can I call you sometimes? And I said, sure. Here's the Attorney General article. Here's the Arkansas Democrat Gazette article. You call me anytime. And he said, I like yo-yo compliance. And I said, well, I don't. Uh, so that that is a bizarre example, but it shows you how the oversight system is broke. And by the way, there's over 50 reports going back to the 70s stating that. Right. Well, but I have heard that, um, and I've heard this from many people, even people who are uh, surveyors, because I've, I've, I've met them, some of them who were family members of people in nursing homes, um, that from the, from the DOH perspective or the government perspective, they're, they're reluctant to really cite a lot of these buildings, which may over time result in them getting shut down because who else is going to care for this population? And I don't yeah, know so if that's, if that's uh, you know, a pervasive way of thinking or if that's intertwined in some you know, nefarious way and that's the reason given, but Nevertheless, that's just not acceptable. So, so, so Mike, I'm going to. What do you think I, about that? Because I know. Hey, yeah. Mike, Mike, you wanted to jump. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I'm going to go back to something Phyllis said. I mean, Martha said at the beginning of earlier on um, with the waivers. And I'm a clinician. I, I look at everything in terms of quality and what's the right thing to do for, for the residents uh, of nursing homes. And to, to make a decision based on, well, we can't, we can't do this because the facility will have to close down is, is, is so much anathema to me right. to say it's okay to do the wrong thing. Right. Because if we don't do the wrong thing, if we, if, you know, if we don't, if, if we do the wrong thing, so, anyway. It's just so wrong. It, it, I just, agree. it just drives me nuts. Yes, Mike. It drives me nuts too, Mike. I agree. Yes. Yes. And to me, that is a one of the sorriest excuses anybody could come I, up I, with. I, I, I agree. They don't I, care. They don't care. Right. And why don't they care? Is it because it's older people? You know, I... I am not yeah. the only one who believes that ageism is, is ageism is at a root cause of this, or it's about people well, that you know are infirm or frail. And as well, many as no, you I, said, Martha, not everybody in a nursing home is an older adult, right? There well, are many I've other dealt, people with a lot of young ones. I've dealt with, with Phyllis. Them. Mike, what do you think? Right, well, yeah, I want to, Phyllis. I want to bring you back to what you said earlier about the next catastrophe. We don't have room for the next catastrophe right. if 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 we don't make things happen based on uh, 200 
over 200,000, maybe 250,000 nursing home residents dying unnecessarily. Um, if we don't do something within the next couple of years based on this, I fear we will never have an opportunity like this again. And honestly, what's the what's a worse catastrophe? Everyone dying? I mean, and then it won't matter because I mean, honestly, I I got to I got to call that one out. Yeah, it can't get any worse. Yeah. No, and, and, and I think, and this is where many of us and a lot of my colleagues, uh, you know, Louise Aronson in particular, um, the, the whole issue of where ageism has struck, um, we have a problem in our society. But actually, this is a worldwide phenomenon, okay? There are not, I mean, in fairness, <laughs> I, I, I don't want to, uh, you know, say that, you know, we're, we're, you know, necessarily worse than other developed countries because, there, there are examples of other countries that have protected their older adults uh, during the pandemic. And then there's examples of other countries that did. Correct. Um, but ageism is pervasive in our society. Ageism is pervasive in the world. Um, and I do also want to bring back, um, you know, uh, Martha made this point. AARP is finally interested in nursing homes and nursing home residents. And, and I want to, I want to, you know, what I've learned about AARP, and I, for full disclosure, I serve on the board of an AARP charity. Um, AARP is responsive to its members. And, at the, and, and I think the, the greatest opportunity we have is to assure that AARP's members, who re- represent a lot of older adults in the United States, um, are, are knowledgeable. Again, what Martha said, we have to educate all of those members, because if the if if the vast majority of AARP's membership becomes up in arms about what's going on in nursing homes, then AARP will continue to respond and advocate. And we need their help because they're they're the largest lobby representing older adults in the United States. Nothing comes close. And I've worked with them at the state capitol. I've worked with AARP. I know they set an agenda every year and they stay fixed on that agenda and they don't deviate. I think COVID made them deviate. I think all, they have come out with numerous reports in the last two years, more than they've ever come out on nursing home issues. And I know that for a fact. Now, they know who I am. They have called me before. And, and ask my opinion on things. Uh, but you know what? I couldn't agree with you more about what you said about AARP and the fact that with the baby boomers and their constituents seeing what might happen to them or their loved ones in the future, I think that has prompted an outcry by many of the AARP members, which For the first time in my life, with everything I have talked about, as far as acknowledgement of what has gone on through this horrific massacre, for the first time in my life because of this horrific massacre, which what a horrible thing to have to say, I see some hope. But look what it took. Right. Look how many, and I'm talking about residents died. Not residents died. But thousands and thousands of employees died. Correct. Correct. And it, didn't have to, it did not have to be that way. If you just look 
at the data that came out in May of 2020 from the Government Accountability Office. And if you see that's 82% of our nation's nursing homes had been cited repeatedly for failure to follow infection control laws and then COVID hits? Well, what do you expect? Right, absolutely, absolutely. The one thing I can say is that, is that, you know, where where the whole PPE, situation came into play. The reality is that no nursing home, they were unprepared from the PPE point of view because, and, and, and Mike, you could respond to this if you'd like, you know, based on how they normally calculate having PPE, they, they wouldn't have had a supply of PPE to the degree that they needed it when COVID hit, unless they really saw what was coming down the pike. And by the way, I was in a nursing home where an administrator did see what was coming down the pike. And he had a room in the heart of COVID with boxes from the floor to the ceiling. He, the uh, person in charge of essential supply and the uh, director of nurses um, bought PPE, even spent their own money from every place in the world they could so that every person in that building had sufficient PPE. Yep, there you have it. Right. That's that's all you need to say. I agree, couldn't agree more. Well, can, can I say this? I understand that the PPE was not available for, for months. I mean, that was months. I, mean, I had employees call me and ask me to help them get masks, that they were having to make their own masks. But this is the bottom line. I'm sitting here looking at 15 pages of infection control laws and the law that has been in place for 30 years pertaining to infection control. And could it have saved uh, half of three-fourths of the lives? I don't know. I can tell you this, that according to our government's investigations, they did not follow in just basic infection control laws that have been in place for 15 years. And if they had done that, thousands of lives could have been saved. Same with the employees. But listen, I want to tell you about a a little um, situation that happened in this building in the heart of COVID, talking about infection prevention is being educated properly, having somebody dedicated for that position. even if they're a part-time person, which I don't agree with, but at least having somebody who's dedicated and educated sufficiently. So I'll just tell you about a little experience I had. This was in the heart of COVID, okay? I went into a room. There were two uh, gentlemen in this room and I, it looked like, almost looked like there was cranberry juice all over the floor. And, but there was a, um, a paper towel with, um, Frank blood, which means fresh blood, right, Mike? Um, like uh, not far under the sink. And the uh, only one of the gentlemen was in the room and the roommate told me that the other gentleman by accident, his, his IV got dislodged and um, it was blood all over the floor. So I went out to try and get somebody to, uh, to clean this up, right? 
so I called this person and that person. It was a very small nursing home. This is not a large building. I think it was 120 beds, maybe. Okay, just two floors. And I called one person, I'm waiting and waiting. And then I go to the, you know, the main desk and I try to get the administrator. She wasn't available. And okay, I went down, you know, looking for people. I come back 20 minutes later. Someone says, well, they called somebody, they didn't come. Okay. Finally, I go back to the, um, the unit. It was like right around the corner. And there's a woman sitting there who, who um, I knew as the assistant director of nurses. She was really a supervisor. And she says to me, um, well, I'm an infection preventionist and you could go in that room. I said, I could go in the room with blood all over the floor, really? So I'm just giving you this example about education and people, yeah. that's not their main priority. I'm not saying she's a bad person, but clearly she wasn't educated properly and that wasn't her main focus in that building. And so people are making all kinds of crazy decisions um, at the moment because either of education or convenience or expedience or whatever it is. I agree. Go ahead. Accountability, accountability. I agree. Uh, and the nursing home owners, uh, you know, they, they're very reluctant to pay for another employee uh, to be a supervisor, which more or less she would be. And then, you know, sadly, so many times these employees uh, have to dance to the tune of the administrator. Correct. They will cover up instances of neglect or abuse or wrongdoing to save their rear ends. I've seen it done a thousand times over. But let me also mention this about PPE, about the masks and the vaccines and everything else to do with PPE. Well, let's just start with the PPE. Even after nursing homes had the, the billions of dollars, had billions handed to them to supply PPE and other supplies to employees to and to the residents to help prevent COVID. It was massive, the amount of cases that were documented that still contracted COVID. And, you know, I believe, and I, without a doubt, that many of these cases were simply because infection control laws were not being abided by. And, you know, when you have no, only, only employees coming in and out, and, it, and, and this GAO report I'm looking at right here says 66% of the thousands and thousands of deaths nationwide, 66%, the COVID was brought in uh, by the employees. You know, it's, it's, it's to me something that continued after the PPE was handed out and distributed. Because in March of this year, in our state, there were over 900 cases of Omicron, Omicron with, in a two-week period, 900 cases of employees contracting Omicron and a two-week period in March of 2022 and three over 300 uh, residents. Hmm. So 
and that's unacceptable. And I've got it in, a, I actually have it in an art, in a uh, news story, uh, television news story, where the president of the nursing home industry got on television and was talking about how great everything was now that they have protection and, and that they're given the vaccines. And she just nonchalantly went over that. And I'm sitting there, are you kidding me? And there was not even a follow-up question by the reporter on this television news story. 900 cases, employees, two weeks. 300, yeah. And to me, it's not over, is it, Mike? Not in any way, shape, or form. Right, and that's the um, and uh, that's the scary part of it. You just uh, wasn't there a, a something that uh, a Twitter thread about this, and um, I responded to it. Right, that it's uh, it, it's nowhere near over, and um, but I think people yeah, no, think that it's over. Yeah, right? yeah the, the, you know, no, COVID is going to be with us for some time. Um, it's so frustrating because. Uh, with as much as is out there, there have been innumerable opportunities to learn mm -hmm. and do better that we yes. have missed as a society, um, as a country, uh, and, and particularly in nursing homes. Uh, and so, yeah, we, but, but at the same time, I'm, I've sort of been shifting because I think it's time to move away from the COVID focus. Mm -hmm. And really focus on the broader picture of what got us into this mess in nursing yep. homes. And if we do that, COVID will continue. We will, we, will con we will more effectively deal with the COVID issues. I actually worry that if we, if we stay, and I, even I in particular, stay focused just on COVID, we're going to miss the forest from the trees. I agree. Um, I, and, and I think we really need to, to make, make the big change. I and I, I couldn't have, you know, I agree with everything you said a million percent, Mike. Mm -hmm. And that's why these uh, new, the new guidance that was delayed because of COVID that's going to go in place. Uh, if you take a look at it, I know both of y'all probably have. It is very detailed and there is a lot of new guidance going into place. Uh, let's hope and pray uh, that it makes makes a difference and that guidance right there uh really doesn't have a lot to do with just like you said mike it doesn't have to do with covid right. except for infection control and that's been in place for years i don't even know why they're bringing that up again they need to just look at their past laws but yes mike not, but none of these new issues and guidance to state surveyors coming from cms really they don't have to do with covid and and right. that's a good thing yeah, I, I agree. No, I, the one disappointment I had, um, though they did leave sort of an out for it, which kind of is, is they had an opportunity to call for the full-time infection preventionist and they didn't. Yeah. Um, but, but, there, but there was language that the infection preventionist that is there needs to be, I, I can't remember the words, but sufficient to cover the needs of the facility which, which, and this actually ends up being the key issue that you brought out, Martha. I agree. There's a lot of good things in the new additional regs, but but the ultimate is how they're carried out, how they're overseen, yeah, yeah. how they're implemented, and and so even the language that says, okay, we're saying part time, but if it turns out you actually need a full time person, uh, then you should do that because that's what matters. If they actually 
go by the letter of the regulation, mm-hmm. then they're going to find that the vast majority of nursing homes need at the very least a full-time infection preventionist. And so I, I, I think there's going to be opportunities, again, for accountability. My favorite word. Right. But we have to hold yeah. CMS accountable. We have to hold the state agencies accountable. Yeah. We have to hold our government officials accountable. Right. It's right. Start, you know, I, I could not agree with you more. And it starts, I mean, you, you put it perfectly, but it starts with CMS who gives the training and does the oversight for the state agencies. And, you know, and, and if they just do their job and follow the laws that are in place now. And that means, you know, OBRA 1987, it's, it's, but, but the bottom line is also, they have to consider it a priority. Right. They have to consider it a priority. And only, I believe only because of the atrocities that happened with COVID, are they, is there a chance that it might be considered finally, Mike, and both of y'all, Phyllis, a priority? Uh, that, that's, that's my hope. I mean, I'm looking at the journalists that are doing these stories. I'm looking at just, and people like you and both of y'all and, you know, and the, the uh, government reports that are coming out and, and yes, they're just more government reports, but if you read them, if you read them and you see the numbers, these reports are coming out, how many are coming out and what, what, what Biden and them are talking about doing and you know, I'm not going to talk about Republican or Democrat, but I'm going to tell you something. Those waivers that were put in place by the Republican Party, you know, by Trump uh, were deadly. Well, I listen, and I think that, listen, there's uh, not to interrupt you, but there's there's blame to go around be, beyond the waivers. Look what happened in New York. Um, oh, I, I know what happened in New York. Right. And that was and that was a Democrat. That was very wrong. That was wrong thinking. It was uh, that that is very true. Again, I'm the advisor to Voices for Seniors. Right. I'm the advisor to them. Long story short, waivers were put into place. I don't I'd be calling out Biden if Biden did it. I'd be I'm calling out Trump because he did it. He decided right. to protect the nursing home industry. And right. it it's black and white. The, right. That's the fact. So, so Martha, I've got I've got a request. I've got a favor. Um, you're, you have a very strong voice in this. You are an incredible advocate. Um, one of my things that I've said from the beginning of this pandemic, if, if I was in the room with Governor Cuomo when he made his decision, <laughs> you would have had to pull me out of it. They would have had to get the, the, you know, his, 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 uh, his security force to pull me out of the room before I would have allowed it. Okay. Right. Similarly, Similar. So, so there are there are those of us who who are physicians, who are clinicians, who have expertise in geriatrics. My colleagues literally have been almost uncontrollable from from you know from February March of 2020. We knew what was coming, and yet none of us none of us were ever in those rooms with the governors, with the president, and and. And one of the things one of the things we have that that others don't is we understand the health side. We understand the medical side of this. Um, 
and and I really think it's important. And this is where I worry the 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 the, the COVID the White House COVID you know response team has never had a geriatrician as part right. of it. And 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 if you wait for folks like me to break through with some recommendation a few recommendations. That ain't enough. We got to be in the damn room with the president, with the governors. And and I think I, I have been talking about this from the beginning and it still hasn't happened. Now, I will say there are a few states around the country where geriatricians have found their way onto the governor's task forces. And th- some of those states have actually done some good work. But but I think I think and again, I, I think bring a geriatrician in, bring a caregiver advocate like yourself in. We need both sides covered. We need the families, the residents advocated for, but we need the, we need the, the science experts in the damn room. I was going to use an even stronger term, but I, I know this is a, you know, PG podcast. <laughs> but I just want to add one other thing. Um, and I agree with everything you said, Mike, in the first conversation you and I ever had several years ago was just about that very, that very thing about having a geriatrician present in these rooms. Listen, a lot of nursing homes, the, the medical director and, uh, isn't even a geriatrician. That's something that I think- Very few are. Very but, few are. Very yeah, few very few are. But the, the, other, the other, and I, I, I've said this before, while and and you could disagree with me, both of you, if you don't think that what I'm going to say is is important, uh, relevant, or that it would make a difference. But from my perspective, because when I see some of these regulations come out or changes even in reimbursement and the categories, being that I have been on the ground, I could know at the beginning, and I've predicted many of them for going back decades when certain recommendations came out and different guidelines for reimbursement, I'd say, oh, I could know how this is going to be the loopholes that are going to be exploited for this. These people are going to be paying back millions of dollars five, 10 years from now when they really start looking at it. I mean, I really think that um, that there needs to be somebody who has some inside perspective so that when some of these things come about, there's somebody who could say, let me tell you how this is going to play out. And maybe there's a different way to approach it. Mike, what do you think? Just saying. Well, I know, um, no. my, I know Mike has to go. So one final word, Mike, on that. And then we'll, um, we could probably talk about this forever, but. No, I, 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 I am glad I, I, uh, I, 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 I propose this uh, getting us together. I think uh, I think we I think we have a lot to say. I think uh, keeping keeping us uh, commenting on these topics in the coming months and years, I think uh, could be a great uh, public service. I, so I, I I'm just this has been great. I That's I fun. agree, and um, I can't be more thrilled to be here in the presence of two who are like my heroes. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I take that very humbly. Yes. Uh, it's, it's, just, it's just fantastic. You know, I, I was in this cocoon and I stepped out of this cocoon and being able to have conversations with people like you, it just, it just makes me so proud and honored. So thanks for taking Can, can I say one more quick thing? Sure. I don't think 
very many people understand how many residents died from starvation, from failure to thrive, from untreated bed sores, other than COVID. Right. I don't think the people, general public, really realize how prevalent that was in the last two years. You know, the only people that really know are the family members. And that's indeed, if more of those family members could speak up, if uh, more of that could be exposed, I think that would help. I, what you say, Mike? I agree with I agree with Martha. And I believe that over the next two to three years, we're going to see depositions. We're going to see stories. We're going to continue to see. This is not going away because those families know and those families are going to talk. And, and I, 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 I do think we are going to continue to hear uh, about all of that. So I agree with you, Martha, completely. Th and the data is there to support it. I, I do need to say this, that they have talked. Right. And if you yep. just Google my name and Google some of these stories and these family members, they have talked. Many sure. of them helped get lawsuits started. So, these families have talked. And it's just unimaginable the PTSD these families have after these tragedies. It's imagine, unimaginable. So Martha, I just wanted to say before I sign off, so tell people how they could get in touch with you or where they could go to find this information. I think it's invaluable for people to know that. Well, well thank you. Uh, my website uh, has email on it, has my phone number on it. I talk to families all over the United States. Uh, my website is A, A, N as in no, H, R, dot org arkansas advocates for nursing home residents uh if you and if you just google martha deaver advocate you'll come up with all kinds of information but go to our website you'll see some of these one-on-one -on -one covid stories you'll see some di different stories uh again just just real quick and and you, you mike you said you'd have to be arrested well i was arrested i was arrested in my mother's first nursing home when Beverly Enterprises did not want my mother's private sitter to sit with my mother during the midnight hours after the surveyors told me my mother was in danger until I had a chance to move her. They came in and they took my private sitter out and they had to arrest me. So yes, I have been arrested. And yes, Mike, I agree with you. They were, if, if this had happened in New York and I was sitting in that meeting, I, and I would have had to be arrested, but something else. I, I, you know, I don't want to make any family member look like or feel guilty, but they would have had to arrest me, put me in jail before I would have not gone into my, the facility to take care of my loved one. Right. I, I, I think it's a, you know, that could maybe be Martha, the topic of another podcast, because I think uh, it's difficult for families. Um, you know, I, I, I've heard them say, and I'm sure if you've heard them say they're afraid of repercussions, how far should they push? And that's maybe another conversation I think we could we could have. But I know Mike has to go. I agree. Retaliation, because I've got a lot to say about that. And Mike, it was an honor to be on with you. Phyllis, thank you also. And uh, uh, I'll be very willing to do another podcast at some point in time. OK. Okay, awesome. So please join me on the next episode of Senior Straight Talk for more informative conversations for the seniors of our lives and can't be more thankful and grateful for Martha and Martha Beaver and Mike Wasserman, you know, sharing their time with me today. And um, this is Phyllis Amon signing off. So please remember to like, click and share the episodes. And until next time, stay safe, stay well and stay tuned.
Thank you for listening to Senior Straight Talk. Join your host, Phyllis Amon, again soon for another episode on the Voice America Empowerment Channel or your favorite podcast platforms.